Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Young Black Equestrians, the podcast. Today we had the opportunity to talk with Stanford Moore. Stanford is the creator of Black Reigns Magazine. He has created a platform to showcase the history and present day of Black horsemen and women. From his early years with horses to his current horse endeavors, we discuss business ownership, representation, and the importance of Black equestrians controlling our own narrative. Keep listening and take notes as we hear more from Stanford. You are listening to Young Black Equestrians, the podcast, with your hosts, Abriana Johnson and Caitlin Gooch. We've been starting off our episodes with just telling everybody, our listeners, one thing that we are thankful for today. So if you want to go ahead and share something that you are thankful for. Well, I'm thankful for life, for making it 49 years. Yes. <laughs> With a sound mind, body, and all my teeth. But uh, I'm excited. I mean, God gives us so much to thank for. Thankful for knowing you guys. Thankful for being highlighted. A chance to get to speak to everybody today. To let them know a little bit more about me and White Rings and all the things that's going on. Of course, the Equestrian and Humanity community <laughs> that we're a part of. That's very good. Very good. Caitlin? I'm thankful for the rain. We're glad it rained. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, me me and Rosalie were stuck in it yesterday. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> but I'm glad it finally rained because it felt like it was gonna rain some days and then it didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It did cool it off too. Mm-hmm. It was high. Yeah. Horses out here sweating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, I am thankful for finally getting an email back from this um, veterinarian that I've been trying to work with to finish up my master's. So it looks like I'm finally going to be able to create some kind of project that'll satisfy my final requirement. So I will be graduating in the spring and I'm super excited. Yes, yes. So, Stanford, if you want to just briefly tell us about yourself, where you are located, and kind of what you do. Stanford Moore. I'm a native of North Carolina, a hockey North Carolina. Grew up, born and raised, all the way up to 18. I grew up on a, a big old farm, a 700 acre working farm. Uh, my grandfather was a, primarily a hog farmer. I mean, he had about five acres. Had a few cows, goats, and chickens, and all of those things. And uh, it, it gave me a rich lifestyle of uh, life. Uh, I grew up hunting and fishing and all those things on a daily basis. But, uh, and, uh, I didn't appreciate it until I got older. Uh, I was almost ashamed of it growing up. I wasn't ashamed. I was happy when I was on the farm, but it seemed like, you know, growing up in the country, 
and then my dad turned around and passed away right three weeks behind her. And what they did was they kind of, me and my wife, ended up saying, okay, we spent all these time, all these years in North Carolina. Now it's time to be a little closer to my parents, because her parents were uh, in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. uh, so we packed up and moved to Atlanta. And so I've been in Atlanta since uh, 2014, and uh, it's, well, actually 2013, uh, we moved because my wife left for me, and mm -hmm. uh, I came uh, six months immediately, uh, so I had to, you know, get counseled and all that stuff. So um, I moved to Atlanta, and what that did was it took me off the track of sports treatment, so I was kind of pulled away from it for a while, and so it gave me a chance to stand back. And, uh, and I remember everything changed one day when I was in Atlanta. Um, we were living with my wife's sister at the time, my sister's mom. And uh, I was coming down the street of, uh, in Atlanta. We talking about Boulder uh, over on the Ellenwood side. And I was coming down the street, and I promise you, it was about 25 teenagers and early 20s guys coming down the street, bareback saddles. Niggas had some of them didn't have shirts on. They were coming down the street on horses. Mm -hmm. And I stopped the car and pulled it over. My wife was like, What are you doing? I'm going to talk to these kids. <laughs> so I turned around and uh, I pulled them over and said, Hey, man, where y'all come from? And because uh, we in the city. I mean, so I said, Where are y'all coming from? They said, Right down here. Just the south side of Atlanta alone is probably 
your hands on how many people you think are in there that look like me. Western publication or Western publication. Yeah. And nobody could get it. And I said, I think it would may have been five. I said, the five I did see, they weren't on the pages by themselves. Mm-hmm. I said, so that's an opportunity. And when I said that, the light bulb went off my head. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. And so I said, you know what? And I drove, oh, I said, damn, there's no diversity in these publications. And what I was very disappointed in in my first year 
not get one person. We kept putting down, we're looking for contributors, looking for writers, looking for contributors. There was every two weeks, I would always say a white woman or a white girl, which is perfectly fine because I ain't a building relationship. Uh, there was always inboxes saying, we would love to support you. We would love it, right? Oh, my God, I love you, babe. So and when we started our black race, I grew probably 90%. Just a lot of people around the country that have properties and farms that want that new somebody. Oh, Mr. Jake, or oh, Mr. Harris worked with my dad for since he was a little boy. His family still works with us on the farm. Mm-hmm. We would love to feature him and get him on the page. And so all these, I, I was kind of to be an African American man. I was disappointed because I said I can't get any black folks to want to write a black publication. Yeah. Oh, what? And so the the whole thing I had to wrap my mind around everything that I found written about African Americans coming up as I did my research was all written by a white journalist. And I said, and I just found that we talk different when we're talking to in front of ourselves. Right. And so I thought, like, man, I want some black writers because there's a style of writing that African-Americans can pull from the, not from just the reader, but from the person they're interviewing. You just, just talk different. Right. Uh, and, for, and, it, and it makes a difference in how the content comes out to the reader. Mm-hmm. So I wanted a bunch of black girls before we cross over to uh, white girls and to keep it authentic. And, um, and I was a little disappointed because I went literally two years before anybody contacted me outside of what I probably had 30 white young from young girls to older women uh inboxing me and would love to contribute or sending me information they still do today mm-hmm. uh to my inbox and that's where most of the content comes from and so I uh, and the first person was uh Trisha Kelly Trisha Kelly uh Contacted the magazine through an inquiry and said, Hey, I would love to. Uh, I found your, your information online. I found your magazine. I just love horses. I would love to contribute in any way. Um, so she reached out to a friend of hers named Monique Medina. Monique was already a friend. Monique was like, What are you talking about? Stanford? <laughs> <laughs> and she put us on three ways. She said, I found you online. I didn't know you lived right here in Atlanta. And I uh, said, so yeah, I would love to. So we sat down and talked. And, uh, and she's like, I just want to help out in any way. I'm not a writer, but I would love to help out in any way. And then, you know, Charlene. Charlene was like, I went to church today. And uh, she she said, the pastor told her, you know, we need to, because she was retiring. And she said, you need to find something to do. You need to, you need to sit down and write um, something that you're excited about. Just write about. And she was excited about saddlebred horses. She would never own a horse, never rode, a, uh, I think at the time, a saddlebred horse. And she dated a guy that trained saddlebred horses and said, I love saddlebred horses. She travels the country, goes to all the shows. And she said, I just want to write about saddlebred horses. Okay, if I come on and write the magazine. She found it online as well. Mm-hmm. And, and said, so, you know, so there, Charlie, and the stories go on and on and on. Um, about people contributing, and I was excited again. So it gave me new life, yeah. and that new life sparked uh, putting out my first print issue. So we built a team of writers, 
uh, and what the next challenge was when we were going around the country for all the events, a lot of these events are predominantly white. And they have a few African American uh, participants as far as indie rodeos and uh, hunter jumper events. So a lot, we were solicited media requests, and a lot of them were denying us media requests uh, mm-hmm. because we wanted to come out and write and speak to the people to space. And, uh, and they were denying us because they said, yeah, we see your online vocation, but is that serious? You know, like blog or whatever. So, mm-hmm. I said, you know what, I'll fix things up. I went back and said, you know what, we're going to get us a print. And we need to get us a print magazine because that print magazine in hand is going to go a lot farther. Right. So, you need me to request And that's what we did. I said, I got to do print. And I got to present myself as a print publication, even though it's very hard to do, just so we can allow us to get in some of these participate. So now it's easy to get a media request because mm-hmm. they know we have print available. Right. So that, that's where we are today. And uh, just having fun, man. You know, at the end of the day, it's not about money. We're not making money. It costs me just to ship a magazine to your house. That's why most big publications are going away from print. It's so expensive. And yeah. uh, it, it cost just to, in, in the early stage, like where we are today, to get it to your house for such small fun. But uh, I think on the backside, it's creating such an interest with the momentum that's going on in the whole farm and ranch community and, and the sport of, of horse racing and everything. I think it's created a whole new excitement among people, and I think we play a part in that. Uh, yeah. creating excitement and getting people uh, back in the horse, back in the watching, uh, just, you know, taking an interest in everything horse. So uh, I'm excited about that. And uh, just calls like where we're on today, I just think it's just creating so much excitement uh, in that community here. Back where we were once dominant in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Right, right. So, I mean, I know the answer for myself and for us, but I'll ask, um, you know, it, we're in the era of Old Town Road, you know, mm-hmm. the get up, you know, things that are kind of put in the black cowboy in the spotlight. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think that this is more of like a fad or... Or like an opportunity that we're just gonna kind of hop on this ship and go. Like, what do you what do you think the future is for you know the exposure that the Black Cowboy is getting pretty much this year? Well, I think this exposure lies in people like yourself and me mm-hmm. uh, to to keep it from being just a fact. And let me tell you why. You know, when you're getting opportunities like this, when doors are open for you, you have to be careful how you present yourself going forward. Because now, um, it's almost like having a media out to your house because you saved somebody out of a burning house. Now, when you invite the media in, they get one shot when that camera comes through that door. Are you going to clean up before you open the door? Are you going to just leave the cereal on the phone and the table? Exactly. <laughs> when, you know, clothes not picked up. So, y'all think you have to present yourself well. Because right. what sustains us is not just exposure, but money. Right. Money drives the, money drives the industry and the athlete, not the novice. And so, 
just showing country cowboys and us riding horses is just one thing. But then the, the money sustains us. The athletes are front sustains us. If you notice through Black Rays Magazine, most of the time I feature people in that athletic state, meaning uh, if there's a barrel racer, I'm all for that. I push that. And Kayla knows that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just Kayla and 4 H. So things that are important that will sustain us, I put focus on. Because I know it's just not the person that goes to work and got a horse at the barn and is going to feed and put him in the round pit. No, it's a little more than that. It's a little, to me, it's the African Americans in these international games where the equestrians and the longest. Uh, it's, it's, it's the two of the top roper out there. These are the people that, that when you talk about credibility and when they see us, they know that there's a Fred Whitfield or Corey Solomon. Now I think they take a second look. It's like, wow, these cats are competing on a high level. Mm-hmm. And so when you when they see us, I want them to have something they can get out there and root for because when you open up a publication, it's just not a novice person riding through a, a, a medal that they're getting excited about. It's usually the athletes and the brands that get behind these athletes that's going to carry it because it wasn't, remember when I said I pulled out these publications and, mm-hmm. and started flipping through the pages? Right. It wasn't that you just didn't see a black face, but the black faces have to be competitive enough to be featured, meaning we need to see them at the top of that game so you will see yourself beside Corey Solomon or Fred Whistle. So we only got a few at the top, and we're not at the top because we just don't have enough numbers to compete on to compare to other races and their numbers. Right. And so once we switch that tide and get kids interested, I always think our future is in, and this is what Old Town Road breaks, breaks. What made that song number one is not the older adult. It's the youth that got excited about horses. Mm-hmm. I I can name I can go through every household and I can't find a kid that won't get excited when they see more. Yeah, every kid grew up excited about every little girl wanted a pony at first. Mm-hmm. Every little boy would have loved to have a horse at first. I don't care how wealthy they are, how poor. And so it's a unified animal that that brings us all together. But when you grow up not seeing yourself in that position, it's like a, it's like a kid growing up wanting to be a teacher. If you've never seen a black teacher, you never inspire one to be one. Exactly. So I think now kids are so excited. And when you show them, when you have a page like Black Rain or a podcast like this that you can put kids on and create some excitement, they now see themselves. When you can see a core Solomon daily, or out front or in publication, that keeps your dream alive as you grow older. And now you've got parents that can see other kids. This is one thing I had back in uh, 2014. Mm-hmm. 2014, when I was back here doing articles, uh, trying to put together some content for publications, articles, people teaching. Uh, so I was finding that there was a lot of parents out there wanting into challenges in their sport, being the only, it wasn't them because they understand life a little better, but for a kid coming up not seeing themselves, and they're saying, I'm in a mini bull ride, and I see all these white families, white kids, but where's myself? Where's the image of me? Mm-hmm. I don't have no other black kids. It, it gets frustrating. 
yeah. uh, for a little kid that don't get to see themselves. And so I have all these parents on the phone trying to talk to them about doing articles. And they say, yeah, he did it one year, but he's not excited. Now he wants to play football because he just doesn't see himself. But the kids in his neighborhood and wanted to do that. And they thought it was weird. So I found that a lot of parents were getting frustrated because their kids were losing interest. So I did a conference call. And mm-hmm. so I had kids in California, 19 year old barrel races, young girls, young boys. I put them on a conference call. So they can all talk to each other. Mm-hmm. They can lean on each other. Because the frustration was there. And parents, because it's expensive, and then you try to keep a kid going, and it's, and it's costing you and your single mom check everything to keep this kid in front of jumper. And, 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 and it's expensive. And the kid is not second guessing it. Yeah. Uh, so I found that the term is right around 12 years old. And so at 12 years old, kids kind of start going through puberty and they fall out of interest in their frustrated sport. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have people to finish that race, we won't have top athletes that can see on the backside. Right. And so without that, they won't see themselves, which won't inspire them to want to dream of something greater than what they're doing. So we, as old, getting back to Old Town Road, it has opened up the door and the, the, the excitement in our youth and now want to research and take their iPads and their computers to mom and as other cowboys. I want to be a, a cowboy when I grow up or, or a equestrian or a horseman and do horse races. That's the excitement that we have to see. Yeah. And so it, in order to keep it from just being a fad, we have to keep that fire lit and our little 4-H organizations and get these kids dirty again, get them outside, get them playing, and that's going to result in uh, athletes on the equestrian side later in life. We're going to watch them grow up. You just don't be a teenager or uh, early 20s and just want to get into barrel races and now go straight to the top. The chances of that is pretty hard because you got to like But if you can grab a kid very young and get them excited early so they can hone their skills, and so by the time they are in their late teens or early 20s, they sponsors will come looking like, man, this kid is awesome. With the right horse, they'll have a chance to do some great things. That's when you can now get excited about having some other top athletes. With those top athletes, bring diversity, and now people start looking at us and like, wow, man, we may need to look at more African-American These people come from places that don't necessarily look like what we're used to, we need to open that door up. And when we open that door up, we can find some inner city youth and some, uh, some youth around the country that were just inspired just by Old Town Road and want to pursue it and that they stuck with it, which yeah. resulted in great things. Yeah. Now, the, the adults to me will probably, if we, if we don't seize on it, it will probably fall off from the adults because it's hard to duplicate that, mm-hmm. um, that momentum that he had. But with the kids, Oh, the five kids. Yes. <laughs> and that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I'll, like you said um, a few minutes ago, um, with the, and I know I've talked to um, several people about, um, Caitlin, what was it called that just came out? Um, Black Country Productions. Oh, Black Country. Duh. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the documentary. Yeah. So my, um, I, I had the same kind of uh opinion, like, you know, once you're once you get once you put the spotlight kinda on some of the things that we do, you know, it's like, all right, do you want 
you're going to get all the attention, whether it's good or bad, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> so, so some of the stuff with the, um, with the black country documentary, I was like, oh, oh, this is good. Oh, 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 maybe not that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. That's great. That's great. Ooh, ooh. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, that's what, that's why, you know, we started this podcast because I was like, there needs to be a place for this conversation, you know, right. instead of, because we do, we have to control the narrative that we want portrayed of ourselves because someone else will do it. Yeah. And once it's out there, you can't take it back. So it's, it's up to us to kind of push push the image and push the conversation that we want to have with and about our people. So Absolutely. with this, the whole so, Old Town Road thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I say I try to control what people see. Exactly. So when, they, when they get Old Town Road melody and come to my page, I want them to see what I need them to see. Mhm. Mhm. Exactly. And I was I was even disappointed. Me and Caitlin did a, a a live chat about this. Disappointed about how like Old Town Road could have really been for the culture, but it kind of wasn't. <laughs> it kind of it was like, oh hey, you know, there's black cowboys, but we're just gonna talk about the one that doesn't ride the horse. You know, he made the song, but. You know, there was yeah. no, that exposure was just, like, after the fact from people using it in their yeah. own videos. So, yeah, right. that was that was kind of frustrating for me, you know, being somebody who is passionate about this as well. And, Absolutely. you know, trying to push that image and then the, especially the music video, I was just like, really? This, this is what we got? Yeah. Okay. Uh, hey, little Jimmy, 
Yes, like Stanford said, keep that fire lit. Subscribe to our podcast to check out part two of Stanford Moore's interview. Like us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date with all things Young Black Equestrians. Until next time.